Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of speaking with, with Magnus Unamir, a gentleman with 25 years of experience in senior positions in the global software industry, including vice president of sales and marketing, product manager, product marketing manager, content manager, project manager, and a long time ago software developer. He has also co-founded a successful suite of software tools in the semiconductor chip and internet of things market and built a global distributor network covering some 50 countries. Over the past few years, he's focused on creating leading edge marketing strategies using some of the world's most advanced marketing automation tools. These tools dramatically increase the capacity of small and mid-sized businesses to establish a global brand presence, increase leads and conversions, and dramatically amplify their marketing efforts. On top of that, Magnus is also an author of multiple books and also has an online course out there. So it's safe to say that he is an expert in marketing automation and AI. How are you doing today, Magnus? Hello, Ben. Thank you very much for inviting me to the show. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Let's jump right in. What is your story? So um, I actually started out as a software developer 25 years ago, or I think it's now even more than 25 years ago. And I found it really interesting to work with advanced software. But quite quickly, I realized that it was more interesting to talk about the software I I were developing and join the marketing team and the sales team on on trips and visit uh, customers and uh, try to convince the customers that our software products were the right one with the sufficient amount of uh, technologies uh, to solve the problem. So uh, only uh, after a couple of years, I actually started to slowly move over from the software development side of things to the marketing department. And for the last 20 years or so, I have had different types of uh, job descriptions in the marketing side of, of the international software industry. Let's jump back into your childhood. Mm-hmm. What did it smell like? Oh, um, I think that I was quite often outdoors, and in particular in the summers, we were, you know, me and my friends were you know, running around in the nearby forest and stuff and building, uh, you know, uh, forest houses or tree houses, I think you call it in the US. Um, so my childhood years, mostly it's memories of, in terms of smell, is mostly, you know, summer, summer in the forest or summer in the garden, I think. What was your relationship like with your parents growing up? Uh, very good. They were small business owners and we had a small family business and I started to help them uh, at the age of 10 or 11, I think. And uh, in my later teenage years, I started to help them with internet marketing and worked after school uh, doing their website and started what probably was one of the first uh, web shops or e-commerce sites in Sweden uh, at the end of the 1990s even. So it was quite early. So uh, I took an active part in the small family business and helped them, uh, which was quite fun at the time. What sort of businesses were they? They were actually importing uh, engraving machines and laser marking machines. So kind of uh, small scale industrial machinery for uh, for uh, sign manufacturing and uh, and stuff like that. So when you were helping them out at 10 years old, when you were young, well, helping how, them out a little bit at least, <laughs> <laughs> <Like> trying to. 
How do you think that shaped your self-identity, your view of self? Uh, quite a lot. I never really liked being in the uh, enterprise kind of large companies. I've been working internationally for almost two decades, but I've always felt more interested in working for a fairly small companies, so let's say 10, 20, or, or 30 employees, perhaps, uh, because it feels so much more natural and uh, familiar, uh, more friendships grow, I think, between the, uh, the colleagues, and it's not so much uh, office politics. So uh, I think that uh, that shaped me quite a lot, and uh, it gave me the work ethics to work very hard, and uh, that you need to work hard to gain the the um, sweets from that work. Um, but uh, yeah, I never really liked very much to work in very large companies, but perhaps that is one of the reasons. When when y'all would sit down at the dinner table, what would you talk about? What were some of those values that were instilled in you when you were young? Uh, values, I'm not so sure, but I, I commonly talk about uh, traveling. I love traveling and I love cooking as well. So uh, you will probably find me talking about uh, different countries, cultures, exotic places, uh, fantastic tropical islands I've been to, or, or uh, you know, uh, asking other people about their travel advice. So um, I'm quite often talking about uh, traveling, in particular to Southeast Asia and uh, cooking, I think. Where did those two passions come from? Um, I've always loved traveling. My parents uh, traveled a lot uh, as we were quite young, but I, I've always been traveling since I was old enough to, to decide for myself. I think I've been to well over 50 countries by now and uh, I just love seeing new cultures and new countries and meet new people. And what about the cooking? Where did that where did that passion come from? I'm actually crap in cooking. I'm not really good, but I like doing it. And I think uh, as I have been working very, very hard at times, uh, for well over a decade, I put in maybe 12, 14 hours a day. Um, and uh, I was really stressed out and uh, I, I couldn't really relax my brain. And uh, I found that cooking is the perfect combination of, of not having to think too much to do it, but you need to think a little bit and focus a little bit on it, such that the brain can actually relax uh, thinking about work stuff. So cooking just had the right balance of, of uh, you know, you need to focus a little bit, such that you don't think about work, uh, but it's not so, uh, so much thinking that, that uh, it becomes you know, tiring for the brain after a full day's work. So as you're growing up and you're working in your family business, businesses uh what were some of those other activities that you do like what were some of your hobbies growing up i was uh, very interested in computers uh, even as a you know at, at the age of 15 i started to import uh, pc uh, ibm pc clones from southeast asia so i had a fairly fairly good uh, uh, pc computer import business whereby i sold a lot of uh, windows pcs to uh, well actually pre pre windows time so ms dos uh, computers uh, so i sold it to small business owners you know neighbors and stuff and uh, made a fairly good money for being a 15 year old just importing cheap computers um, from hong kong because at that point in time i think the price was twice or even three times as high in sweden compared to in, in you know southeast asia and uh, I think that was when I learned uh, international business, even though it was on a fairly small scale. So. so it seems like once you started working in the family business, like 
business became your thing like that really that really caught your attention why was it why did it catch your attention like why has it been something that you've stuck with for so long and you put in so many hours and you've worked the 12 to 14 hour days ever since you were you know, ten or fifteen. Yes, I like to build things. I like to to grow uh, grow a company, uh, secure the future of a company. Uh, you know, being able to help employ more people to make sure they get a living. Uh, I also uh, wanted to put uh, you know, my city or my country on the map in terms of high tech development. So I always liked you know working on the most advanced high tech stuff there was. So I have been in the microprocessor semiconductor chip industry for two decades more or less, and I've been developing, uh, you know, microprocessor uh, chips more or less, or I was part of a team that developed a microprocessor or a CPU chip. Been uh, developing um, software development tools that is used to develop uh, electronics. And I was uh, quite active in the launch of Bluetooth uh, 20 years ago or something like that. So I've always loved working with the most advanced technology varies. So, so let's talk about that chronology of how did you get into tech and what were some of those big milestones that you hit like helping to launch bluetooth that's a huge milestone i'd love to talk about that how many other milestones like that were there maybe you could take us through the the chronology the progression of them so i started uh, at the university and then i studied electronics design or electronic engineering and software development so i'm actually an electronic engineer or software developer at heart or from the university years. Um, but I started to work on, on software that was used to help engineers develop the next generation electronics. So I did that for 20 years. Um, part of that was, was uh, helping Ericsson at the time to, to do some software tools around Bluetooth that would help them uh, launch Bluetooth as a world standard more efficiently. So I was working uh, as a product manager for some Bluetooth development tools 20 years ago. Um, then a decade later, uh, I became a co-owner of a company that set out to design a new microprocessor chip for uh, encryption um, algorithms. So uh, new biometric passports, for example, or uh, new smart cards or more secure bank cards, for example. Uh, and that morphed into uh, the Internet of Things space where I started to work more actively with tools to help develop the internet, internet, internet connected devices. But uh, over the last 20 years or so, I've still been on the marketing side of, of these industries, not as an engineer. Though. So when you went into university, did you know, did you always know that you were going to go into technology or how did you make that decision as far as what to focus your time on and, and what to study? So my, my dad was an engineer and I was very, very interested in programming and computers as teenagers. So I, was, I always thought I would be an engineer or a software developer and uh, that was quite natural. So it was more a surprise that I ended up in the marketing side of things, I think, because engineering was uh, engineering or software development was the, the natural you know, roadmap of my life, I think. But um, I ended up in marketing, surprisingly. <laughs> what, what drew you to marketing after after those years after that you know studying so much learning so much about software development and, and being on the engineering side what really drew you to the marketing side or did that passion come? In, it's in the marketing side that we shape the new products it's in the marketing side we we survey the market and find out what kind of products uh, is of interest what 
products can help, what products will succeed, and uh, if so, which kind of capabilities uh, should those products have? How can we make a product more competitive versus the competition? And uh, I found it more interesting to, to plan out the, the future developments or the roadmap of products as opposed to just staring into the screen and, and uh, write the code to, to build the products. So I like more of a visionary side of it and, uh, and uh, you know, invent the future rather than, than just being the engineer who do what they are told. So at this point in your career, I mean, you've done a ton of things. You've worked in a variety of, of different roles. Um, you know, you're co-founder of, of a, you know, a successful company. You've written, you know, I believe at least five different books. Uh, five, yeah. Can you talk about, you know, because we talked a little bit about where you came from, but can you talk about where you are now? Like, it's, you know, looking from the outside in, sometimes it's hard to see the whole clear picture. So can you really give us a clear picture of exactly what you're doing now, exactly what your biggest focus is? Um, and, and don't be afraid to brag a little bit and tell us how high you've <laughs> really climbed. You never brag. <laughs> <laughs> I think we reserve that for the U.S. guys. <laughs> so um, I, I will have to reverse the discussion a little bit, though. Um, a couple of years ago, I left uh, left uh, the company I, I helped co-found, and um, I was the vice president of sales and marketing for a decade uh, and built a global distributor network, for example, covering 50 countries, as you mentioned. Um, but we were a small tech company with relatively limited financial resources, and we had a global market, so we couldn't really um, fly out to each and every potential customer and have sales meetings with them because that was just not doable from resource uh, point of view. So we started to use marketing automation quite extensively to help market our own products. And that was a good fit because I'm very interested in marketing and we were a software and tech company. So we had very high software skills, but we were also doing internet marketing and marketing automation is the perfect combination of software and, and marketing. So. I kind of joined the two fields and uh, that is a great fit for me. Since I left that company about uh, a year and a half ago, then I wanted to do something different. So I set out to help other companies introduce marketing automation in their business to help them grow and help them get more leads and nurture those leads automatically using robot software uh, into paying customers. So now I am an independent consultant. uh, in terms of marketing automation and uh, how to use artificial intelligence in, in automated marketing. And so I wrote a few books on on, uh, on marketing and the last book was about uh, marketing with artificial intelligence. And I think that book uh, has gained quite some interest uh, because there really aren't that many books about this topic. Either they are very, very mathematical and marketers can't really understand them or they are way too philosophical and don't really explain how to use AI uh, from a real practical sense right now in, in, in a business. So I set out to write the book that was the perfect balance of both the technical side and the philosophical side and try to provide a book that can help um, current uh, marketeers to actually start using AI right now rather than in the next decade or two. So let's talk about that because I think that is a very fascinating uh, topic is using marketing and AI kind of joining the two, right? Um, Like where do you start? Where do you begin? How do you know, for example, with something like project egg, right? 
how would you first start to introduce marketing and AI into, into, into this ecosystem? Yeah, so I think that uh, it's not one answer to the question because it depends so much about what company we talk about. Um, generally, I would like to say that most marketeers and most companies will not use AI in the sense that they have to develop their own AI software using mathematicians and software developers that handcraft custom designed AI algorithms for your particular company. Uh, rather, most marketeers will just buy any piece of standard software and that will have AI power or machine learning under the bonnet, so to speak. And uh, whoever buys that piece of marketing software will perhaps not even be aware that the software is using AI to, to improve the, um, the efficiency of, of the tool. So just uh, one example that is very easy to understand to most people is email marketing. So normally you would have... Uh, piece of email software that sends 100,000 emails at the same time, so email blast basically. Uh, but with AI, we can actually train the email software automatically based on, on data from previous email sending um, and work out at what specific time of the day should each and every of the individual 100,000 recipients receive the email to have the highest uh, open rate or the highest chance of every person actually opening an email. So with an AI-powered email software, we will not send one mail blast that sends 100,000 emails at the same time, but we will send one email at 100,000 different times, each and every of them optimized uh, for the right time uh, to have it opened by each and every recipient. So we do a personalization, let's say. Uh, hmm. So that's huge because, I mean, some people do not, some people don't check email at a certain time. Like I was just telling you, I try not to turn on my phone for as long as possible in the mornings just mm -hmm. to make sure I have a clear head and, you know, I get my morning started out. Right. But I mean, think of the, the implications of that. Like it, it, that seems like it's personalized, highly customizable per unit, I guess, or per customer, per prospect per person automation. Yeah. That's incredible. So how do you achieve that? So basically we uh, measure uh, the digital footprint or the digital behaviors of each and every person. Um, and if we don't have enough data, then we can find other people that uh, have the same or similar characteristics. And then we can use data from those people. So for example, we can conclude that people Different types of people in different cities may generally uh, open the emails in the morning, whereas in some other cities, perhaps they generally open it, it later in the day. Um, but, but it's all data driven and with uh, a lot of data and with machine learning or AI, we can actually go from gut feeling to fact-based decisions and the marketing software actually uh, executes autonomous marketing decisions all by, by itself. And this is why some people are now starting to be, be a little bit scared about their job security due to AI and stuff. So let's say you're, you're a small business owner or a solopreneur or you ju you're just getting started, right? Mm -hmm. How do you tap into this insanely powerful AI and automation on a, on a budget? Like It depends all, again on, on what you do. If you do any kind of e commerce website or a web shop whereby you have many products, then I would start with um, AI-driven product recommendations. 
So whenever someone comes to a web shop or comes to a website, then there would be a product recommendation, which is optimized or adapted for you specifically. Um, and therefore we can try to re uh, incre increase the, uh, the level of, of uh, additional sales by offering the right product to the right person at the right time. Uh, you could also start to, 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 to use a, a chat robot, uh, either in integrated chatbot in your website as kind of customer support or customer service, or you can use chatbots for uh, marketing on Facebook Messenger nowadays. And some of these chatbots uh, actually don't use AI at all, uh, while some, some use AI to help improve the, the understanding of incoming texts or the incoming questions. And uh, you can quite easily uh, and very cheaply nowadays create a fairly, fairly simple chatbot uh, and deploy it on your own website. It's not all that hard. The development tools uh, to do it is actually free of charge. So what it seems like is you need to, for your, for your own business, identify the need, figure out like where do you want to apply this AI and automation, and then go and find software that's already doing it for you and blend them in. Is that kind of what yeah, I mean, for example, I bought uh, one of these smartphones the other week, uh, the Google Home uh, Mini, I think it's called. And uh, it took me less than a day uh, after unpackaging the box until I had extended the knowledge of that voice assistant or that chat, uh, you know, voice-based chat robot uh, to make it understand my specific commands that related to my specific business and made it answer uh, in a particular way. And it could actually drive a conversation forward uh, and ask follow-up questions that someone had to answer. And then the robot understood the answer and continued the discussion in, in forwards and backwards conversations. And it took me actually less than a day to do a very simple voice-based voice uh, uh, chat robot that I installed uh, in, in the Google Home smart speaker. So it's, it's not really that hard, to be honest. Where do you see for entrepreneurs, especially aspiring and, and beginning entrepreneurs, where do you see the biggest opportunities for them to start leveraging AI? Like you mentioned, if you're in e-commerce, you can do, um, you know, uh, custom tailored product recommendations. You talked about um, having personalized email marketing automation, which could probably go and, and get with a company, but what other what other uh, levers can we pull in order to have the biggest impact in our businesses today? So if you talk about stuff that is fairly usable by small and medium-sized companies, not really enterprise-grade stuff, uh, I think there are still, still many things you can do. For example, most CRM systems today have something called lead scoring. Lead scoring is, is a way to to guesstimate or calculate how sales ready every particular lead is in the database. We usually do that by measuring the digital footprint or their behavior. So did they or did they not visit that uh, particular web page on our website? How many times uh, did they open that email? Did they click a link in the email? Um, how many times have they been to the website and so forth? And each and every um, touch points they have with us is then recorded and then we can create a very simple algorithm that works out how interested is this lead probably uh, in, in buying soon compared to some other lead that have done other things. And you do that by just adding uh, scores or, or, or uh, adding some numbers for each activity. So downloading a PDF may give plus 10 points and 
visiting, uh, for example, any page on the website may give plus one, except the pricing page that gives plus five, because if someone comes to the pricing page, that is a stronger sales signal than, than visiting other pages, you get actually plus five points for visiting the, the pricing page. And so we can build uh, simple algorithms that calculates a score that, that can help us tell, tell us which leads are most likely to buy soon compared to the other ones. But now we can do a similar thing with AI technologies or predictive analytics, and we can actually train uh, an AI software to automatically guess how sales ready different leads are in the database. So for example, I can say that Mr. Jones is 72% ready to buy, whereas Anne is 11% ready to buy, and some other guy is 52% ready to buy. And uh, the AI software will, will then look at the digital behavior of actual paying customers we already have and compare their behaviors to the behaviors of new leads who are not yet customers. And dependent on the similarity in the behavior of a new lead versus the behavior of existing paying customers before they became customers, and the AI algorithm can work out that a new lead is perhaps 72% ready to buy or 11% ready to buy. And then that can trigger marketing automation logic. So whenever uh, someone has a threshold of, let's say, 25% sales readiness, then we can let a marketing automation system send a sequence of sales messages or emails with a soft sales message. Whenever someone reaches 50% sales readiness, then that triggers the sending of five other emails with a harder sales message. And if someone reaches 75% sales readiness, then uh, we don't send an, any email to the customer, but rather we send an email to the sales guy and ask him to make a you know, manual sales call because now this person is likely 75% ready to buy and we stop automated marketing and then we start to initiate uh, you know, real manual sales efforts instead. So we can do a lot of interesting things and predictive lead scoring and, uh, and that stuff is, is fairly common these days and it's available in many, many of the larger, more popular CRM systems, for example. That's incredible. So it seems like we're kind of on the cusp here where entrepreneurs, small business owners can achieve these incredible uh, benefits of automation, these, these incredible advantages of automation and AI uh, by, by leveraging software that, that's readily available to them. Um, yeah, I mean, even even, uh, even as something as simple as, as your normal email client. If, if you are using Gmail, then G, Gmail automatically recommends an answer, a quick reply to incoming email. So that is AI uh, or something called NLU, natural language understanding, whereby the Google Gmail client or email program reads incoming emails, understands pretty much what the email is about and automatically creates a short answer that you can send away uh, with just a quick question, uh, sorry, a quick click. And so, so even in something simple as, as the email client, you have AI today or there are AI tools that analyze your blog posts and find out how you should edit them to make them uh, rank better on Google, for example. And those tools do that by analyzing perhaps 10,000 blog posts on, on the same topic and finds out the similarities between the blog posts that are top five or top 10 on Google and then tell you what did the, these blog posts do that the others didn't, which probably is the reason why they are at top five position at Google. And then tells you how you should edit your blog post to, to match that and hopefully then also get into the top five list on Google. 
So you can use AI in, I, I would say that uh, in my latest book, I listed one or 200 different usages of AI. And when I tell people that I work with uh, marketing with AI, people say, okay, chatbots. Most people would say that chatbots and, and AI in marketing is, is the same thing. Uh, but actually chatbots is just a very, very small corner of, of how you can use AI in marketing. And I would say that chatbots is perhaps 1% or 2% of the use cases for AI in, market, AI in marketing. What are some examples of companies who are really taking advantage of AI um, and are like shining examples of what we as entrepreneurs should be aspiring to uh, as far as use of AI and, and effectively leveraging the technology that we have? Because we talked about some things that AI can do, but like who's an example and, and, you know, maybe you could dive into like what they're doing specifically. That's like, wow, this is the top notch use of AI today. So I'm, I'm not actually sure which companies do exactly what in terms of just buying technology and, and using it. I'm more, um, I have a better, better knowledge about what the technology vendors are and what, what they offer. So for example, in the CRM space, obviously Salesforce uh, have a lot of AI technologies in their, their products and, um, Adobe have some high-end marketing products that uses a lot of AI. But actually, the AI space is, is mostly a large number of startups. There are hundreds and hundreds of, of startups doing really innovative things with, with marketing using AI. And uh, I think what is happening now is that the large, large marketing software vendors are playing catch-up, and they actually just start to buy all the new startups because they, they don't invent enough themselves. So what we see is a consolidation, I think, in the AI tools markets and uh, the big vendors like HubSpot or, or you know, Salesforce or, or um, you know, Adobe and just start to buy a lot of these innovative small AI companies. Where do you see the future of AI going? So AI will be used by every marketer on the planet uh, within two or three years. Um, since even you know every Gmail user are using AI already, uh, but they aren't aware of it. And similarly, uh, marketers who use AI uh, now and in the future will not be aware there is AI technologies under the hood or under the bonnet. Um, so it will work its way into pretty much every piece of marketing software on the market. Um, there are currently some 7,000 different marketing software vendors on the market, and I think roughly 1,000 of them already have some kind of AI technologies built into their software products. So we will see it everywhere, and what will happen is that it will automate um, boring work tasks, so any kind of repetitive work task will be automated. Uh, any kind of data analysis will be uh, automated and any kind of decision making based on that data analysis will be automated. So if I were a marketeer mostly involved in analyzing data and making decisions based on that data, then I would be very worried. For example, there are some really innovative tools in, in autonomous ad uh, purchase. So you can buy or rent uh, an AI robot that takes care of your ad budget and you know, you register a credit card in the tool and it starts to buy digital ads for you using your credit card and it spends the budget on Google AdWords or Facebook uh, ads, for example. And then it measures all the time which ad graphics uh, works in which channel at what time towards what uh, what audience. And when it shifts the budget and spend less 
for this kind of uh, ads and start to, to spend more here. And it's all the time, real time, uh, is, is uh, you know, optimizing the budget for, for a better return of investment. And no human, human, human being would be able to do that and change the ad spending strategy every minute or every hour, you know, 24 by seven. Um, so, for example, that, that is uh, one area where I think AI will, will remove a lot of jobs. It's uh, in digital ad purchase. So let's talk about that a little bit specifically because um, I think that's fascinating and I want to I drill down. So it seems like clearly the, the AI and, and the automation can analyze and split test and make micro adjustments better than a human can, for sure, with, without a doubt. But how will the AI... Like, like, will the AI be writing the copy, be choosing the graphics to test? Like, how will it choosing be building? The graphics, uh, choosing the graphics for sure. Uh, writing the copy, probably not in a few years. Um, eventually it will, uh, but not for the next few years. But choosing the graphics, yes. That is, uh, that exists already, but it will be commonplace, I think, in three to five years' time. And how about, how about like building a sales funnel? Like how far away are we from an AI, from AI or an automation software being able to build out, test and scale successfully a, a marketing funnel? There are already tools that do customer journey optimization. And that is a little bit what you talk about, uh, but perhaps not fully, but I think we, we are, uh, a few years down the road, perhaps. Um, but we already have, for example, tools for conversion ratio optimization, CRO. So there are AI robots that can take a landing page and redesign it maybe 10,000 10, times. And it measures which kind of design variation seem to improve the conversion ratio. And then it takes that as the basis for a new generation that trusts something else. And then it stacks different changes on top of each other, in, uh, like the kind of the evolutionary theory from Darwin. Um, and, and using AI-based uh, evolutionary design algorithms, it's, it iterates towards a better and better performing landing page optimization. And that's uh, the tool I'm specifically thinking about currently is, is also supporting multi-page uh, funnels. But it's, uh, it's more about design, uh, changing the design of a page rather than inventing the complete customer journey. But there are tools that do customer journey optimization, at least, perhaps not sales funnel design, but certainly uh, you know, customer journey optimization already. So give it five or seven years, and then we will probably have, have more stuff. But there is one caveat here, though. Uh, these tools only work with a lot of data. And if you don't have a, a lot of data, they can't really test the design variations or, or any sort of of, uh, change. So if you don't have enough data, then you can't really use these tools because AI is, is very hungry for data. So it works best for companies who have a lot of traffic uh, because then you can do you know, split testing, for example. But if you have a very small new website without any, any traffic volume, it's, it's quite hard because you know, there's just too little data to, to analyze. Do you think that that is almost an untapped frontier is like AI based on extremely low statistical significance or, or without very many data inputs? You, you, you can cheat the system. So if you're, if you're for example, are an email uh, software supplier, then you can give a new email client uh, the data from 
other email clients as well. So if I uh, purchase a new email software uh, and I don't have too much data on my own email list, then uh, the email supplier may know that people in New York generally wants the email at nine o'clock in the morning, whereas people in San Francisco generally want it at a different time of the day, for example. So we can use sometimes data from other sources that may be a proxy for your own data if you don't have it, but it's obviously better if, if you have your own data in, in sufficient uh, volumes. So, you know, at this point in time, right, and, and we're, we're filming this uh, April 8th, 2019. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, where do you see AI in general heading? Maybe, maybe not specifically in the marketing space, but where do you see AI heading, you know, 10, 20, 50 years down the road in everyday life? So we will see uh, systems, software systems that are self-optimizing. They will learn uh, over time how to do a better job automatically, so self-learning. We will see a lot more personalization. So we talked about personalization in marketing, so the right person get the right message at the right time in the right channel, for example, highly, highly personalized. But I think we can also see personalization in, in other parts of, of the society as well. Um, I think that legislation and, and uh, politicians will have to dip their feet into the water because we cannot have such a powerful uh, system out there without some kind of legal controls. Uh, it may be <clears throat> quite uh, quite harmful in terms of some some ethical problems if AI gets out of hand. Uh, Elon Musk of Tesla, for example, have been talking quite a lot about the dangers of, of AI uh, out in the wild. So um, I think we will see highly efficient systems that replace a lot of repetitive uh, work and we will see systems now starting to replace well-educated, highly paid people. Um, but we will also have to start to address the problem of ethics and, and other negative sides of using AI, uh, perhaps. What do you see as some of those potential, you know, ethical issues? Like, what do you what do you see as something that could be a problem? So, in terms of politics, for example, it has been argued that or suggested that the, the Brexit. Uh, uh, referendum and also the Trump presidential election was was heavily skewed by AI algorithms in terms of Facebook ads and stuff. Um, we have, for example, already seen um, grocery uh, shops uh, sending uh, marketing literature home to teenage girls living with the parents, uh, suggesting they are actually pregnant. And um, there is this uh, case where uh, a father of, of a teenage girl was absolutely furious by because the, the uh, grocery chains and ads or, or uh, marketing literature home to the girl uh, for, for pregnant women because he said that she obviously wasn't pregnant but it actually turned out that she was pregnant and uh, the shop actually concluded she was pregnant by monitoring the purchase patterns what kind of foods were she buying at what frequency or cadence and stuff and and just by analyzing her food shopping behaviors they could conclude that she was probably pregnant and, and, uh, well it can be argued that that is an ethical problem or not uh, also it may or may not be so good that the 
the uh, manufacturer of your GPS navigation system in your phone uh, know exactly where you are, how often you go to the bottle shop or you know, uh, other kind of insights can be concluded when you start to combine data that by themselves may, may be harmless. Um, assume, for example, that, um, uh, that a uh, grocery shop uh, analyzes the data on how you, how you spend money and, and what kind of foods you buy, and they conclude that your shopping behavior probably relates to a very high likely, likelihood of you uh, having cancer. So should then the, the, the uh, food shop uh, tell you that you likely will die of cancer soon, or should they tell the authorities, or what should they do? And uh, you know, it's, it's kind of ethical problems for the shop owner, you know, what to do with the insight that someone maybe is, is having cancer because their shopping behavior correlates to people often getting cancer. When, when you were talking about AI out in the wild, mm -hmm. What is that going to look like? So I think for the most part, we will not see AI like human looking robots walking around the streets. Uh, we usually talk about software solutions here and software solutions that learn how to adapt and how to optimize themselves and do a better job, which is generally a good thing, um, of course. But take, for example, you know, uh, Quite, quite interesting use case I, I sometimes mention is uh, uh, machinery, industrial machinery. So you put uh, sensors on the machine, so like vibration sensors and, and heat sensors, for example. And then we can conclude that the current heat and vibration patterns on this machine correlates to the patterns from other machines in the past who broke down two weeks later. We can now conclude that this particular machine most likely will break down two weeks from now based on the current heat and vibration patterns. So we can then hook that insight into a marketing automation system that can start to send marketing offers to the owner of a machine, um, offering them spare parts or services in advance to actually prevent the machine from breaking down in the first place. And that is when we start to hook up internet-connected machinery to AI and then we let those insights actually drive marketing automation logic. And that is highly realistic uh, for the manufacturers of machines. So if you are producing machinery for the industry, then you hook up those machines to your monitoring central, and then you can start to, to detect when the machines you have delivered to your customers will, will break down. Or if you, for example, manufacture coffee machines, you can uh, use AI to predict when the coffee beans is running out in every particular coffee machine. And the machine can start to, to make independent purchase decisions and actually call to um, the Amazon web shop, for example, and, and start to buy uh, new coffee beans autonomously without any human intervention. So when, when you speak with people like me, for example, who really are not that educated on on ai not that informed like what are the things that you know about ai that i should definitely be aware of that i should definitely be asking you about but i you know i may not know enough to even know the right questions to ask you yeah, I think uh, pro probably the, the, the correct approach is, is not to ask the questions in the first place. It is the wrong question to ask where will AI end up, because it will end up everywhere. So uh, it is not meaningful to ask where in marketing we will see AI, because we will see AI absolutely in every corner of marketing, and we will see it in <clears throat> every corner of every other industry as well. Um, 
but I think also we shouldn't be too, too scared because generally uh, AI today or machine learning is just self-optimizing algorithms that do something a little bit better, such as sending the emails at, at the appropriate time individualized for each recipient. And that is not really dangerous. It's just getting a better result of a marketing campaign. But then, then it can be a little bit ugly if, if you have AI robots that start to affect the outcome of, of you know, public elections or or uh, you know, we, we get insights about people that they don't even know themselves yet. So, you know, Magnus, I want to thank you so much for coming on the interview today. Uh, it's, it's truly been a pleasure, and, and I want to thank you for, uh, for, for sharing this time with me so far. And thank you for um, inviting me to the show as well. Absolutely. So I just have a few more questions for you, then we'll go ahead and wrap up. Okay. You know, I know we've been talking a lot about technology and, and automation and AI and marketing, um, but I want to talk about connection mm -hmm. because in my opinion, you know, connection is one of the most important things on the planet. So I'm interested in, in understanding your philosophy on developing deep, meaningful, and genuine connection with another person. So I think with all the automation, um, it is easy to be very spammy and with marketing automation systems, you can be incredibly spammy. Um, since I'm a consultant in marketing automation and a trainer in marketing automation, I actually go for the quite, uh, quite the opposite approach. And, and my take is that we should use marketing automation to be less spammy and send less emails which is uh, some, something that uh, you know, sometimes confuse people a little bit because they think marketing automation is about spamming more. Um, but to me, uh, we should not uh, send any email if you cannot understand clearly why the recipient really want to receive the email. So the litmus test of sending any automated email, I think, is to check would this recipient of this email actually want this email? And uh, if they don't, uh, then we shouldn't send it. So I think with automation, we need to uh, make a better job of becoming uh, better targeted, send the right information to the right person at the right time, and therefore also not send our stuff uh, to start with. Uh, but I also think that with all the automation and all the digital you know, tools for, for uh, you know, automated outreach and stuff like that, I think the old-fashioned way of talking to each other will be more important. And, uh, with AI becoming commonplace everywhere, I think there will be a backlash uh, to some level whereby uh, companies offering personalized service from real humans will actually be able to command a higher price. So I think that we will have shops that uh, are completely autonomously working without any you know, shop staff whatsoever. Uh, and they will be cost effective and have cheap products, but there will also be more expensive shops offering perhaps the same kind of products, but they have you know, a lounge where you can drink coffee and they have staff that are really nice to talk to and they will be, you know, the premium level companies where, where people pay a little bit more for, 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 for getting some personalized service. But I think in terms of marketing, uh, since everyone now start to send, uh, you know, for a few years, we started to send automatically printed physical letters home to people, you know, hello, Mr. Jones, here is the printed uh, letter to you. Um, and now we, we do the same with email, obviously. But I think that, uh, you know, actually sending a manually written, really manually written email, uh, sorry, email, um, you know, postcard or, or, or old style letter, perhaps in paper that is, you know, hand manufactured or looks old, uh, is probably going to get a lot, a lot more attention than any automated 
email. So I think that we will see, uh, you know, a kind of a little bit of a backlash whereby some companies will start to use very old, old traditional ways uh, to, to uh, create a unique selling point. That's interesting. So it seems like as we move towards one extreme, some people yeah. on, you know, the more high end luxury are going to almost go back yeah. to the other extreme. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And perhaps you will even buy handmade paper, which is 10 times or hundred times more expensive for one sheet of paper because it looks handmade uh, rather than with the paper you get out of a printer automatically. So what is your greatest theory? I'm sorry. What is your greatest theory? Oh, um, I actually launched a theory with my own name um, in my latest book. Um, it's kind of a kind of a, yeah, comic or, or a, you know fun fun take on the Pareto principle. So we all know the Pareto principle, more more commonly known as the eighty twenty rule. I think we will not see the eighty twenty rule working uh, onwards, at least not in terms of digital business, because we will not have 20% of companies taking 80% of the income. Now with the uh, Googles and the Amazons, uh, we will have the uh, Unimir principle, which is the one to 99 principle, whereby 1% of the companies will take 99% of the market because with the uh, you know, globalization and the, the uh, first mover's advantage and the scale of economics uh, uh, available in the digital markets, I think we will see uh, a market whereby the large companies will get much stronger monopoly situations compared to before. So I think that, uh, sadly, I think uh, it will be much harder for small and medium-sized companies to compete in commodity markets, like a web shop selling books or, or stuff like that. So you will need to invent uh, perhaps more unique offers. You cannot compete with Amazon or selling books online, for example. That's interesting. So do you think that that's going to almost train and and help people improve like do you think because it's going to be just a harder market to survive in the ones who do survive and thrive are going to be better or do you think it's just going to be a monopoly and there's going to be abuse well the problem here is that that previously the large companies were just larger and more powerful um, but they didn't really have any other advantage except that but now, when everything is data-driven with autonomous AI algorithms that can personalize the product recommendations much better, for example, uh, or automatically adjust the price at different times of the day for different types of people and stuff like that, then uh, the smaller entrants, even if they are better and have, have a technically better product or, or technically better software platform, it doesn't matter because if you don't have the data from millions and millions and millions of past transactions and website visits, then they don't have any data to feed into their possibly better algorithms. So it doesn't matter if you have a better software platform with a better AI algorithm, because you still don't have the data from, from how people behave. And uh, whoever has the most data in the future will win. Wow, that's incredible. Well, thank you again for sharing uh, all these insights. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about your professional life. Mm -hmm. um, but parallel to that, um, what's been going on in your personal life this whole time? So I got married last year uh, to my wonderful wife, uh, Anita, um, and we live here um, in, in the city of Jönköping, uh, southern Sweden. It's about one hour's drive or one and a half east of Gothenburg and three and a half hours drive south of Stockholm. So it's just three hours from Denmark. 
pretty much. So um, yeah, we have a fairly you know, calm life here and we, we like to travel a lot. So we, we go to Southeast Asia a couple of times every year and uh, so just enjoy the exotic uh, and tropical islands. So last question for you today. Mm -hmm. um, I'm 24 and mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a couple couple different businesses, but Project Dig is absolutely my greatest passion. Mm -hmm. What question, knowing that, what question should I be asking you, you know, with your experience, with your knowledge, with, with your genius, what should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? You mean related to AI or personal stuff or? Anything. Um, I think that, well, perhaps that is not the question, but the answer to the question. But I would probably recommend you to keep producing content and show your personality. I think the the times of you know corporate style websites and you know, you know personality in the, the blog posts and stuff is gone because people want to to feel a connection to whoever whoever they follow. So I, I think that uh, keep producing good content and don't be shy to to show your personality because I think we will. As the world becomes more digital and machine driven, we will um, at the same time um, appreciate, uh, you know, the real human touch to it more and more, I think. Well, thank you very much. Um, you know, again, I, uh, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and, and for sharing everything that you have. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me again. Yeah. Absolutely. And to everybody who is watching and or listening, um, Magnus was gracious enough to put together a resource for you. Um, and uh, it's, it's a free resource and it's talking about marketing automation. Um, and, you know, if you've been listening this whole time, watching this whole time, then you know that Magnus is definitely an expert here. And there are a lot of things that may not be uh, may may not be so easy to grasp without somebody who's in the field and a, truly an expert uh, presenting it in a way that's that's a little more palatable, you know, a little bit easier to to negotiate. You know, I, and you know, I think of myself as a smart person, and this stuff can get really complicated. So, you know, for somebody like Magnus to really break it down step by step, and and you know almost take us by the hand and lead us through this. That's very helpful. So um, this, this uh, resource is something that I'm very grateful that you put together. Do you want to talk a little bit about it and, um, and then we'll tell them how to get it at the end? Sure. So <clears throat> today we have been talking mostly about really advanced stuff like AI and marketing and, uh, and AI technologies, uh, for example. But uh, the truth is that most small and medium sized companies aren't there yet. And most <clears throat> small and medium sized companies use or should use a traditional marketing automation first before worrying about AI. And so um, I have produced this, uh, <clears throat> this guide, a uh, uh, marketing automation success formula, which can be downloaded for free from unimire.com forward slash formula. And uh, by downloading that book, you get the, the most important steps in, in uh, starting to use marketing automation in a, in a successful way, even using very low cost tools uh, that you can, can get for for example, $50 a month and, and upwards if you're a solo entrepreneur. So you don't really need to dig too much uh, deep into the AI stuff. Uh, you can do a lot of, of really powerful things uh, at a lot easier level, I think. Absolutely. Unimire.com forward slash formula. Yeah. 
and that's U-N-E-M-Y-R, right? Absolutely sure. Okay. And then, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, that that link isn't working for y'all, you can always go to projectegg.co slash Unimer, right? U-N-E-M-Y-R. So thank you very much, Magnus, for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it to everybody who's listening. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Uh, I really appreciate the support. Appreciate you sticking with us this whole time. Go and grab that freebie. Seriously, it's going to be awesome. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Hope you have a great day. Let's change the world.